Have the Conversation Podcast. Have the Conversation Podcast. Have the Conversation Podcast. The Have the Conversation Podcast. Have the Conversation Podcast. Real people, real conversations. I am pumped to be part of Have the Conversation. Now more than ever, we're seeing just how painfully divided we are, whether it's politics, religion, or just due to cultural differences. And while those things divide us, there is a commonality in our faith traditions that can help us turn away from polarization and create a greater sense of community in which our differences are honored. And that's something we try to do here at HTC and in our daily lives. Our guest this week is author, inspirational speaker, Interfaith Ministries pastor and leader, Jerry Zare. In his book, The Peacemaker's Path, Jerry brings together wisdom from the world's major religious traditions to show that we have much more in common than what divides us. Through the diverse faith traditions, Jerry has gained new insight and understanding through connection with people from all different backgrounds, and his book offers everything from scripture passages from the various religions, questions to contemplate, calls to action for your own life, and closing prayer. When we recorded with Jerry in early November, we were both anxious and excited to see how this conversation was going to go. Having both walked different and oftentimes uncomfortable walks in our faith, you never know how these conversations are going to go. We're happy to report that we not only survived, but thrived when talking to Jerry, and something tells us you will too after listening to this conversation. When you're done listening, head over to htcpod.com to get connected with Jerry and all of our past guests and see the latest happenings around Have the Conversation Network. Now through December 15th, when you subscribe to our mailing list, you're automatically entered to win a copy of Jerry's book, The Peacemaker's Path. And thanks again to Jerry for making an oftentimes difficult topic to navigate enjoyable, calm, and dare we say, peaceful. Enjoy this one. How's your sleep lately? As a trainer, the subject of sleep is often a main topic of discussion. Nobody sleeps perfectly every night, but I have to tell you, I've never slept better than I have since I've discovered the Chili Pad. Chili Pad is a mattress pad that uses cooling technology to keep your bed at exactly the temperature you want all night long. You can set it as low as 55 degrees, like my furnace of a fiance does, or take it all the way up to 95 if you have no problem staying cold on your own. Our bodies need a dark and cool atmosphere to get the most out of our sleep, and the Chili Pad has been one of my favorite sleep hacks to do just that. Go to ChiliPad.com to learn more about the Chili Pad and its upgrade, the Uller. That's C-H-I-L-I-P-A-D.com. They even offer a new Chili weighted blanket to keep you calm and cool all night long. If you like what you see, use the code HAVETHECONVO for a special discount at checkout. That's all one word, HAVETHECONVO, for discounts off your new Chili Pad sleep tight oh good you got it oh it was wonderful jerry i had a blast with this book oh thank you with spirituality it's it's kind of like a hard thing to talk about especially like i don't have a lot of background in it so it's very i guess it's individual no matter how you grow up but I loved how you had all the different faiths and religions saying the same thing like it kind of said what I've always thought in terms of like, there's got to be kind of a central message here, but all the rules, the, the man-made rules kind of split it all up into different things. Yes. Yes. You know, it reinforces in me that there's a, what do you call it? Higher power, universal consciousness. There is something beyond, I mean, here, the Hindu scriptures were thousands of years before Jesus were written in India then you had the Baha'i scriptures, which from Iran, all these, and, and they're, they're not exactly the same, but they're similar enough that you could tell 
I mean, you just can't make that up, you know, and have them all be so similar thousands of years from apart that it just reinforces in me that there's something greater that's drawing us to the divine within and beyond. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, when, when you sent this, like I said, we both d dug into it. I'm actually on day 23 with empathy today. So I was really excited about that. <laughs> Um, but in knowing that you were coming here, I was reading more and I went back and I read blurring the lines and I oh. could not put it down. <laughs> she was telling me all about it before you came on. I, I really you. binged it. I woke up early this morning just to finish it because I was like, so into it. It should be a movie. <laughs> well, I, I know I it kind of, as I wrote it, I thought, you know, this could be good script. I mean, of course it's, it's based on my experiences, but it's not all true. Yeah. So like when okay, my mother, that's what we were going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> when, when my when my mother read it, she's 92 now, but when it came out like 10 years ago, she she was like, you didn't do all that stuff, did you? And I went, well, I I didn't do all the dark pieces, you know, I mean, but what, what fun is that for a book just to be about me singing in the Johnny Carson jar or whatever? I mean, but the, the theme, what are you willing to sell your soul for, was very real. Yeah. That That was very real to me as far as like I, it, one of the stories in the book, which is true, was the guy wanted me to do some porno and a hundred dollars back in those days would have been a lot of money, you know, or the woman who wanted to invite me up to her room uh, and give me a big tip. <laughs> <laughs> I love the giggle afterwards. Yeah, just the whole book, like, it was just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, you're just rooting for Thomas, like, to just get it together, like, you know, he just seems so naive, but so just, like, trying to make it, and, and I feel like that's just so, like, alive and real for today, more than ever, yeah. and I think I experience it now as a mother through a different lens, too, and then knowing people that were in similar situations to what this character went through in my own personal life, it was yes. just like, like I, like I said, I couldn't put it down. <laughs> well, I, I think that theme of what are you willing to serve your soul for, it goes across. I mean, people in sales, people in finance. Uh, I mean, I've known friends who've been in jobs where they were paid money under the table if they did certain things, you know, and finally... Like my one friend, it just got to his conscience so much. He quit the job. And as soon as that happened, the company got busted. <laughs> I mean, it was wow. just like, oh, he was so lucky, you know. Yeah. Uh, but it's so anyway, well, thank you. That that makes me feel uh, good yeah, to know. Yeah, you're a great storyteller. A great storyteller. So tell me, as you read in The Peacemaker's Path, what connected for you? Uh, what did you find oh, Jerry, to you? I've got a whole set of notes here for you. <laughs> you asked the right question. <laughs> oh, I actually, um, I had an idea because Cal and I do a live show on Thursdays and we decided to take some of the questions from your book and just kind of talk through them and have a conversation about it. And I did have some of my favorite ones that maybe towards the end, I could ask you um, your opinion on, cause you did write the book. So <laughs> yeah, sure. What I was curious about, how did you find God and how has your understanding of him changed as you've gone through life? Well, you know, it's interesting. My grandparents were Amish. Now, I don't know if you know anything about the Amish. Do you know the Amish at all? They're very they little. Were, yeah, I yeah. know of them, but I don't know much about them. They're very strict. You know, they have no uh, electricity, no alcohol. They, they live on farms. 
Um, they, they, make they great don't drive furniture. cars. Yes, they make great furniture, horse and buggies, right? But so my, my parents grew up as Amish, but they became Mennonite, which is an, another part. The Amish broke off of Mennonite, but, and it was very conservative, very legalistic. Don't dance, don't drink, don't smoke, you're going to go to hell. Everybody was going to go to hell if you weren't a part of our church. And I just never bought it. But, you know, a minister pounded on the pulpit and was, you know, it, they meant well. They're trying to make you fear God that would make you live the right path. But I think fear and shame is very unhealthy. Anyway, I, so I left the church. I mean, I, 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 I thought I left God because I thought all churches were like my church. And I thought if God was like that God, I wanted nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. um, but I had had a powerful experience of love at church camp. When I went as a young person at church camp, I would have this community of young people and we would just be singing and loving and caring for one another. So I still had that on my core. But so I went to LA. I'm performing, you know, outside. It looks like I'm having this great life, but inside I'm very empty um, because every relationship was transactional. What can you do for me? You know, there was, there was nothing feeding my soul. I mean, I didn't even have that language. I, I, I didn't even talk about feeding my soul. I just knew inside I was empty mm -hmm. and I was partying and drinking and doing all that stuff. And I, I just knew I had to get out of that lifestyle. I had to get out of there. And, and I had kind of my own spiritual awakening in the midst of all that, kind of a crashing and burning. And I just started seeking. Um, so I ended up teaching high school speech and theater. Uh, and I found a church. I, I was, my parents were Methodist now. So I was looking for a Methodist church, but I couldn't find that. And I didn't, you know, I didn't know one church from another. And there was a church on this corner. And the guy who was on the street corner, I said, do you know where the Methodist church is? And he pointed down the way, but I couldn't understand him. And I asked him again, and he pointed down the way, and I didn't want to embarrass him to ask him a third time. So I saw him go into this church. So I just go into this church. And it's a Christian church, Disciples of Christ, which come to say, now we know, because I'm a, become a minister in that, is a very progressive, liberal. We always support the LGBTQ community. We, you know, men and women, black and white, uh, divorced, married, whatever. There's a sense of love and, and grace and non-judgment. And I was like, I, I didn't know there was an, a different church than what I grew up with. And that minister became my mentor, and he gave me a new understanding of God. So I went to seminary, really just to put my faith together with integrity. And that's then when I started studying world religions, and I became a minister working at Interfaith through 35 years. And... And my understanding of God, I mean, I used to think of God as this, you know, being out there striking you down if you did something wrong, or you'd say, please give me this, kind of like Santa Claus. And, and you know, I, even, um, even science now, quantum physics understands there are many dimensions in the universe. Quantum physics says energy cannot be destroyed. So we say spirit science is energy, but there's an electric current. There's an energy field inside of each of us. They talk about with chakras, but even, you know, when somebody dies, they put the, 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 the uh, kind of to get them started, you know, they, they jumpstart the electrical current in their body. 
And they've even done science tests so that when somebody dies, the body is a little bit lighter than what it was when that person before. And so I believe that that energy that can't be destroyed leaves the body um, and gets manifested. Is it reincarnation? Is it, uh, I, I don't know. You know, I don't know what it is all. So I understand God in a much more universal consciousness. Mm, there's many, you know, words. And we get hung up on that. Sometimes people, you know, somebody calls it Allah in the Quran. You God, some of my, my friends who are in AA call it higher power. Some people call it love. I'm okay. Yeah. So anyhow, so that's how I came on that journey. Thank you for asking. Yeah, there was an entire, I love the themes, how you broke up your book into different themes. And um, Cal and I talked about one of my, my favorite questions that you asked, do you remember your first experience of awakening? Yeah. And mine was, I had started going to a non-denominational church, like a young adult ministry. Right. And it was the first time that I had, I had heard and let it really sunk in that God has a plan for my life. And that's the first time I really felt a kind of unshakable sense of, of self-worth that I don't think I had previous to that. I was, I was extremely insecure without r really realizing how insecure that I was. And your entire theme on love I, broken down day by day, I almost was able to re-experience that feeling of like, you know, because right. that, was, that was probably 10 years ago or, right. you know, and so you get busy, things get in the way and it's not top of mind. And so to revisit those different themes within the, the loving yourself, that was, it was such a nice reminder for me. Well, and you know, I, because I, I grew up with a lot of shame and guilt a lot of anxiousness. So in my 20s, I was very driven, uh, judgmental. I, I was perfectionist. I could never do enough. You know, society says you got to do more, got to do more. And then my parents, out of their conservative background, you know, that just was so ingrained. And it's funny because we, you know, Jesus says, what's the greatest commandment? They asked Jesus. And he says to love God with all your heart and soul mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. But so often we focus on loving others, you know, being compassionate, caring, which is all good, but we don't focus about loving ourselves very much, self-care, a feeling good, affirming yourself. And so, you know, a lot of times I'll ask somebody, what are three things that you love about yourself? And they'll just like, I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to, to feel, you know, because we're kind of, we're taught not to be prideful. Well, I disagree. I think a young person who's full of themselves and, you know, now if you're self-centered, that's one thing, but, but to feel good about yourself and confident. Oh gosh. I didn't have that. I didn't have that feeling until I was in my forties, honestly. Mm. Yeah. And it puts you in a lot of bad Still trying to get there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I hear you. Exhausting, Jerry. I'm exhausted. <laughs> Well, and, and, you know, as parents, well, and, and just as girls, it's so, it was it's staggering to me, girls at the age of nine start to feel inadequate about their bodies. They already are taught that they're insufficient, that their bodies aren't pretty enough, skinny enough, this and that. And, you know, I just, I thought to myself, because as guys, we, we already had the dominant role in society and women had had to break through a lot of that. And, and. So you guys have had to work through so much of that breaking through the stereotype, 
being yourself. Um, and, and it's hard when you have so many expectations of others put upon you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for acknowledging that. <laughs> this really makes me very happy. <laughs> you have no I feel idea. Seen. <laughs> well, I, I must tell you, my wife is a minister. We met in seminary. And so you can imagine 35 years ago as a woman in the ministry. Right. I mean, actually, the people who were resisted her more were other women who had chosen to stay home and were upset that she chose a path of a career. I mean, she had two children. Um, but, uh, but, you know, it was, it was hard for people in the pulpit to give, to see a woman because they're so used to a male dominated. So I've been through that with her and I, you know, I, I see, I've seen things that it's given me a heart to understand. Well, I think too, it, it kind of puts up a mirror in front of certain people who maybe haven't followed their passions or you know, taken a leap to do what they know in their heart they really want to do. If they see your wife up there doing what she loves and doing a great job, then they can't help but reflect on why, why haven't I chosen that? Well, and, and when we became co-pastors, that was the first woman pastor that church had had. And so we had a number of people who left. They didn't want a woman in the pulpit. And the sixth grade girl got up in the pulpit and she's up before Sunday morning, up there kind of looking around and and, you know, Diane, my wife says, well, what do you think about that? She says, I like this, you know, <laughs> and you could, you could just see that she had never imagined the possibility of her being a minister until she saw my wife. Oh. And, and that's the breaking of the glass ceiling barriers. You know, it's no different than uh, two guys who are gay, who, who finally get married and then people go, well, what's wrong with that? These are two consenting adults. What's wrong with that loving? I mean, they're beautiful human beings, you know? And, and, and it changes out a relationship, you know, because I had friends who were just against homosexuality. And then they got to know some people, you know, who were in the church. And they went, maybe it's, you know, maybe that teaching is really, actually that teaching is not Jesus by the way, did, said nothing about homosexuality. So just for you to understand, that teaching comes from Paul, but it's not even Paul because the Greek translation of homosexual, homosexual didn't even come back to the 1800s. The Greek translation, and if you do that, you'll find it talks about older men with young boys. It's about the power over an individual and the pedophilia the uh, the incest those that language of the deep you know that wasn't about two consenting adults anyway side note no that that's very interesting well for the things that are more gray like not necessarily acceptance of gay or straight or um, right like you brought up perfectionism um, and how that was kind of a struggle for you you had a quote in your book that I absolutely love. It says, perfectionism is not a quest for the best. It's a pursuit of the worst in ourselves. The part that tells us nothing we do will ever be good enough. Yeah. I felt exposed. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry, you saw right through me. <laughs> Can you explain like the toll that perfectionism has on a person? Oh, wow. I mean, I, I think, well, I think you know this like I know it, you know, it's, it's never enough. And 
Um, I, I, I could have 99 people say, Jerry, that was a wonderful speech. That was, that was fabulous. And I had one person who criticized it and I would focus on what that one person said was wrong. And I'd stew on it for three days, you know, and, and then I realized, okay, that that's a person perspective, but, but that's not all. And, you know, I think if somebody would say, what would you say, what would you want to say to the 30 year old Jerry or the 35 or whatever, or 25 year old, I would say, be easier on yourself. Give yourself some grace. And you guys know this as parents. I mean, you're so hard on yourself as mothers. You're trying to do this and that. Raise your kids. Kids are there and you feel like, I can't do this. You know, my kids hate me. You know what, you know. And you're doing so much that it's giving yourself some grace. Yeah, motherhood's taught me that for sure. (laughs) For sure it has. Well, we are harder, we are harder on ourselves and our spouse than we are on our friends. You know, this is what, this is what I've realized is being married for 37 years when we first were married in the 10 years, you know, I was harder on my wife. I mean, because I felt like I could say things to her and get, get away with them because she'd stay married to me. I would never have said that to one of my workers or my wife the same way, you know, or or I would never expect things from people that I expected of myself. And I mean, it's good for us to, you know, have a bar of expectations. But we, it's the same way. I think it's, we forgive others more than we can forgive ourselves sometimes. Yeah. Or the people that have hurt us. I, that was the lesson that I learned um, early on in my marriage as my husband was like, you know, you will give people on the street more respect than you will to certain members of your family. And I was just yeah. like, well, damn, <laughs> you know, I've never forgotten that uh, because, because it's a hard truth that I needed to hear and I've never forgot it. And it's changed the way that I speak and act. Well, you know, it's true. Many I mean, it, yeah, I, I, I think it's true. I, I mean, like I say, we, we treat those who we, who are closest to, because we, we say things bad to them or we hold on to things because Mm-hmm. it's so close our relationship is so close and yeah. and the wound sometimes feel feels deeper than it does from somebody else but yeah you know that's that whole thing about forgiveness um so anyway yeah perfectionism can drive you crazy yeah <laughs> i sure know can. that all too well <laughs> it's so, so, so give yourself some grace give yourself some grace realize it isn't really even about being perfect because you can't be perfect. And, and we do our best. You, you, you do your best. And that's what I say to myself, you know, I mean, it, cause it's easy to go down that road. I'll have this interview and I'll listen back to it. And I go, Oh gosh, I, w- I don't even want to listen to it. It was terrible. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And then you just go, Jerry, you did your best. <laughs> you know? Yeah. This is yeah. what came out. Yeah. The intention yeah. was there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't like, I didn't intentionally, you know, want to be, not do a good job or like my wife, when she first, she got divorced after 13 years. And for so long, she would beat herself up about about divorce, being divorced. She felt bad. And I said, you didn't go into the marriage intentionally wanting to get divorced. You did your best. But um, that's a retraining of the mind. You know, I, I talk about that a lot, about the thoughts in our mind and how we need to retrain those thoughts. Mm -hmm. I heard it in one book as unlearning, 
yeah. unlearning what you've been taught or, or just accepted as truths in the past, but haven't really looked into. I think I, boy, that's true. I'm sorry. No, no, that's, that's fine. When you were talking about your wife struggling with the divorce, I think that's part of the tough spot that a lot of religions kind of get behind for me is anti-divorce and work through it. Um, I grew up Catholic from a young age. Um, and I know that it's very frowned upon in the Catholic church. And a lot of people would just rather stay together unhappy than right. go through a divorce and, and be frowned upon. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on religion and divorce? Well, I, I think those are man-made, you know, I mean, th those are the churches, the institutional rules that they have made. And like you say, you grow up with it. And so you believe it. But when you look at Jesus' teachings, he doesn't say any of that. In fact, the woman from Samaria, that, who was a woman at the well, she'd been married four times, was living with another man. He doesn't say anything about that. He doesn't shame her or guilt her. She's from a different faith tradition, being from Samaria. What does he do? In those days, a Jew was not even supposed to talk with a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman. Jesus goes to her talks with her, validates her as a human being. And then he says, you worship the God you do not know. We worship the God we know, but one day we'll worship in spirit and truth. And, and I think Jesus is so much more about valuing and affirming the woman who committed adultery when they were ready to throw stones to her. Jesus said, that person who has you know, never, never sinned can throw the first stone. And they dropped their stones. I mean, so I think that whole sense of, of judge of guilt and shame um, is not, it's, it's man-made, you know, it's, it's human beings putting their things in. And we, and all religions have some of that, but when you go to the core teachings and you really look at the core teachings that I've shown, like in my book, you see that those things are not, you know, that's not what any of the religions are really about. Yeah. Yeah. And would you say that the core teachings are each chapter in your book, the forgiveness, reconciliation, patience, all four? Yeah, well, and, and, and I, there's probably even some more, but those four kind of uh, themes are those six themes of loving others and loving yourself and, you know, karma or, you know, what we reap, what we sow, those are at the core. And, you know, I mean, all of our religions have taken uh, and some of the conservative Christians have taken some of the scriptures to justify, you know, their actions. And, and that's human nature. And some people go, well, look what religion has done in a bad way. And I go, well, don't blame, don't blame God for people's sin, you know, yeah. because if they didn't use religion, they, they, they would have used some of something else. It was more about power and competition and they just use the religion to beat up on somebody to make themselves feel superior. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't religion, it would have been something else. That's been my whole experience. <laughs> Same. I'm yet to find a church that the man-made pressures and, and rules haven't kind of tainted it. Well, you have to find, and, and it's hard, like the Christian church is up as a Christ. We have no creeds and no doctrines. Uh, and all men and women are equal. They're in a leadership role. There's the United Church of Christ that's like that, you know, that's in the Christian tradition. 
if, if you want to stay in the Christian. There's Unitarian, that's kind of a universalist. Um, but in the Christian tradition, some non-denominational churches are, are like, they, they say they don't have any creeds, but when you hear some of their teaching, they come out of a conservative bent, and, and that's where it's, it's a little harder to, you know, you like the music, but then when you really unpack, like, what do they think? What do they think about people of other faiths? What do they think about gay people or people who are living together, you know? Um, then you find out, well, they say they're, they're welcoming and loving, but only for certain people. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Especially in like the leadership roles too, you know, that's a very, very contrived, contrived thing in that. But there are, but there are faith communities that are open. I mean, you just kind of got to Google, you know, liberal congregation or congregations that support gay people. And usually it's those congregations that are, if they support gay people, they're like, they're pretty open because so many congregations don't. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. It's weird that that's the thing, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. just so, like, we sent out that memo. <laughs> it, went, it went far and wide. It did. Well, and, and you know, the gay issue is kind of a generational people under 35. It's a no brainer mm-hmm. people over four, you know, 35. I mean, maybe cause we grew up that way, but they're like, except unless they grow up in a real conservative and stay locked into that. But that goes back to, you know, your guys point about just because you grew up with certain beliefs, you know, you both have questioned your beliefs. You questioned some of that like I did. And I think that's healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was taught growing up not to question my beliefs, that that was sinful. Well, I think questioning is good. It's seeking. It's that walking the enlightened path, awakening to your own sense of call. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mine was very, um, so my parents divorced when I was around the nine year, nine year mark. And, um, oh. and my mom was very much, you're going to find your path. She was like, you know, we had a choice into what we did. And I mean, I looked into everything from a young age. I mean, I wore the red, the red ribbon for whatever that was, you know, for the longest time. And I was into Buddhism and, you know, I've always been, I, I've just loved the different teachings. Then on the other hand, I had another parent that was just like, you know, no, this is the way, this is what you do. And so it was very, very confusing to me. I, 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 I think I still to this day carry a lot of the guilt on that of what's right and what's wrong and why can't I just have a relationship with God without all these expectations, I guess is the right way to put right. it or rules. Well, it's, it's yeah. And I, thing. you know, I think that's uh that's that relearning, you know, I mean, I used to, I used to listen to that critic voice or that negative voice inside of me more than I would my friends. Mm -hmm. And then I realized I'm just letting those voices stay in rent free. (laughs) What is that about? I mean, I just, so now when that negative stuff comes or that voice, you know, I can choose to let that go. I can choose to say, I want none of that. Mm -hmm. And I want to focus with this way. It takes an intentionality in work. I mean, it doesn't retraining because some of it's, I mean, especially if you've had trauma in your earlier life, it's almost in your genes. Some of that's like so deep in you to train and move. And yet I think that's part of the spiritual journey. You know, part of our, I, I, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated with reincarnation because I'm like, oh. So am I. <laughs> you know, too. Part too, of, yeah, yeah, part of this is I'm, I'm working out, I'm a spiritual being. We are spiritual beings 
on a human experience. And like, if you were just spiritual beings in another dimension, and I said, I'm giving you a million dollars, well, you couldn't really feel it, it touch it. So you go, yeah. But here, because of the dimensions of this universe, of this world, we love being on earth because it's three-dimensional, you know, and I can feel a million dollars or ice cream, <laughs> pizza. And so I think as spiritual beings, we love coming back into this dimension because it gives us a chance to, to work out those pieces internally in a, in a physical dimension. I think that that's so true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have some pretty in-depth discussions with my grandma and she was a librarian so similar oh. to you she just had a huge curiosity and religions and and read all about them and she told me one time that you know you don't have a soulmate you have a group of soulmates that are like your peers in your class and no matter what life you find yourself in you'll keep finding your group of soulmates but maybe you know Cal and I are friends, but maybe in the next reincarnation, we're actual sisters or, you know, yeah, or right. brothers, you know? And so um, I just thought that was so cool. Like we're learning together and we're helping each other grow. And then we move on to the next life and we do the same thing and we just keep evolving and changing. I thought that was beautiful. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, it's interesting when I was in theater, so I'm, you know, I, so I, I was out in LA, I came to Kentucky to work in this dinner theater production. And so a bunch of us go to the psychic. Oh, this would be fun. We'll go to a psychic, you know? And, and, uh, and the psychic does this whole kind of a thing with me where we do this, say these words, and I feel this kind of elevation. I, and, and, and it kind of blew her away. I mean, I think part of it was, I was already into that, where a lot of my friends were, okay, it's a kick. But I really kind of was open to it. So she says, Jerry, you were a, now, she doesn't know I'm in theater right? She doesn't know any of that. We just don't. She says, you were a circus performer. I was something else. And she said, you were a monk in a previous wow. life. So now, 10, 15 years later, I'm in seminary. I'm in the basement studying St. Augustine, which is a great saint of the Catholic Church. And I'm reading some of his writings. And I go, God, this feels like I've been here before. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was really weird. So, and, and you know, I, I say to my friends who are, they're agnostic. And I say, well, what does that mean? They say, I don't know what's out there. And I go, well, I'm agnostic too. I mean, I don't know what's out there. I don't know if there's a heaven. You know, I mean, maybe they're, you know, they say, well, if, if there wasn't, if you knew today there wasn't a heaven, would you change what you do? And I go, no, I don't think so. Because everything I do, I do about in experiencing heaven on earth. You know, I, I want to experience the goodness and love of God on earth. Heaven is secondary. Mm -hmm. So there you go. I've heard that deja vu is like glimpses, little memories and took old lives that you just. Yeah, I know. And, you know, some people, some people don't believe my sister is so science. So she doesn't want to hear any of this stuff. <laughs> Sorry, Jerry's sister. <laughs> <laughs> we don't even hardly talk. You know, she lives like a block and a half away from me. And like, okay. <laughs> Just avoid that altogether. Yeah. Right. I have I those mean, relationships too. <laughs> yeah. When, when you have fam Thanksgiving time, you know, we just never talk about any, you know, and if my, and if my other family say about my new book, she just like rolled around, you know, God, you know, here we go. So, so anyhow, 
Well, we're big fans. <laughs> but I just, you know, I just think that the, for me, Jesus said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that it really is to bring the kingdom of God or the heaven on earth, the goodness of God on earth. And so many people in the Christian, I, I need to get saved. I have to get that person saved. So they'll go to heaven. When heaven is secondary, you know, I think Jesus and all of these, and I, I write about that in, in the book, right? That it's all about experiencing the goodness of God here on earth. And that was, that's in all of our major religions. Mm. Yeah. There was a um, part where you talked about each of the world's religions can be twisted to justify violence, but each is rooted in peace. Can you expound on that a little bit? Well, I think a good example currently was ISIS in Islam, okay? ISIS took the scriptures about the infidel, kill all the infidel, and they, and they took those scriptures. Now, when you understand the context, Muhammad was speaking about a period of time that they were being attacked, and he was saying, you know, we need to defend ourselves. And when you talk, and, and again, I didn't know the Quran, so I just took it from the words. But then, as I talked to other scholars of the Quran, they, they gave the historical context to it. So that ISIS, in fact, which, you know, there's 1.6 billion Muslims in the world. There was 10,000 ISIS. But in the United States, because uh, a lot of our TV shows, like NCIS, I like our, you know, I Homeland. I love all these thrillers. Homeland is one of my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> okay, but Muslims are always seen as terrorists. You know, I mean, correct, right? So the perception was all Muslims are like ISIS. Well, when people come to find out, ISIS killed more Muslims than they did Christians, because they were killing the Muslims who didn't believe like them. And, and so they justified their actions, you know, and twisted the scriptures. And so many of the people that they got to be part of ISIS were young, yeah. ignorant, uneducated boys who wanted money or wanted to belong. You know, it's like any group, it's like gangs in L.A. Uh, I mean, there are many of those kids got to be a part of the gang because they just wanted to belong to some group. And, and, and they got into a cult that they didn't even realize. So I think, you know, we saw that with ISIS. Uh, Christians justified in the Crusades, killing many. I mean, we killed Muslims, terrible amount. Um, some people have bombed abortion clinics in the name of Jesus. And, and um, I just think, I, I'll, I'll always say to somebody, are you reading the same teachings of Jesus that I'm reading? Because <laughs> right. Jesus never condones violence. Yeah. So anyhow, yeah, I think that can happen. I think people can use uh, religion. Uh, people use other things to, to justify. And that's what's so hard about, it can make us cynical and just go, I, I can't figure it out. I don't want anything to do with it. I feel like that's where I've been a lot of my life, especially okay. my adult life. Yeah, well, very cynical about it. And, and I would in, invite you, and maybe this book has maybe stimulated you just to, to seek, to read, to search. It has. The, the, more, <laughs> the, more, the more you can be open to reading and seeing points of view that help deepen your spirituality. One of the books 
I read because it was Oprah's favorite book. I love Oprah. So anyhow, it was, it was The Tethered Spirit by Michael Singer. That was a great book. Oh, can I ask you, are you talking about The Untethered Soul? Thank you. Yes. That's it. No, I, that was my- that Leanne recommends that book daily. <laughs> it was the first time that I learned that your thoughts are not you. And yes. that was, you talk about experiences of awakening. And that was, I remember where I was when I read that sentence. And I was like, what? <laughs> I've never felt less crazy in my whole life. <laughs> I, I think it was a very great, it was a, one of the best books, you know? Um, and so, I, I mean, I, it's easy to become cynical. I get it. I mean, I have to push against it. There are some days that I become cynical, you know, like, oh, I wrote this book. Will anybody read it? Will anybody make a difference? I mean, you can't believe how much, how good it makes me feel to know that you guys read it and really enjoyed it. I mean, because I, I did two years of this work on this book, right? And I mean, it's, it hasn't got a lot of traction. I mean, it's never going to be a New York bestseller because well, you can't say that. Not yet. Well, I, I shouldn't say it. No, I shouldn't. I, and, and, and it, you know, it, it, it doesn't really even matter. I, again, I have to reframe myself. I wrote it because it was something I love doing. Mm -hmm. And if it helps one or two people, it's enough. I mean, I have to get in that mind because people will say to me, what's your book sale? And I go, right. I don't even look. Right? right. We get that all the time. Yeah. Like, what are your, what are your numbers? What are your podcast yeah. numbers? And we get so caught up in that. Like we're not doing enough when we're sitting here doing what we love and then it takes it away from all it of does. I mean, it I fully takes it, it away. Me, yeah. Even if it's, it's just so for a wild. moment, it sucks it takes, the life out it of it. It takes your joy. That's right. Yeah. It takes your joy. And so, I mean, that's our mentality our consumer mentality of our society. And, and, and I, we just have to put it in check and remind ourselves, and, and like, I will cherish this conversation all week. I mean, I will, and, and this is what I've done that makes my life so much fuller. Before I would do the podcast and I go, oh, and I go on to another, go on to another and, and try to do more, more, more. And, I, and, and there's something about savoring and being, enjoying that, you know, because some of the people who I do the podcast with, they never even read the book, you're right. You know, they, they don't even, I mean, I'll send a copy and they'll, and, and it's okay. It's just not their thing. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but like you guys and some others who've done that and, and the people who've wrote some wonderful reviews and, and just some of the notes I've gotten, I, I literally hold on to those. And I think with your podcast, when you get feedback from somebody who says, thank you, you know, I really enjoyed that. Savor those. Yeah. You know. Oh, we do. That's the only, that's why we keep showing up. That's what keeps <laughs> us going. <laughs> if it was just about the numbers and those discussions, we would have quit a long time ago because it does, it just robs your joy. It just takes away from, from what you're doing and why you want to do this. And uh, we just want to show people that, you know, there's ways forward and let's talk about it. It doesn't matter what it is, but we can have the conversation about it and then you can make a new decision. <laughs> right. Or the same one and be more validated. But I think it's also that you do it together. Um, it's like when I ran a marathon, I could have never ran a marathon if I didn't have somebody I ran with mm -hmm. and, and having somebody else makes all well, you know it. And, and so I say bravo to, for you to, to, uh, to realize that. <laughs> bravo sis. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. No, I, I needed you. <laughs> I needed you. And I, I think this segues perfectly into, in part of your book, you talk about the importance of patience and you give examples of 
all the cascading negative effects of impatience in your life. Can you give a few examples of those or how you came up with that? Well, I, I mean, again, it's kind of from my own personal life. I, I being so driven, um, always, I felt like I always had to do that. I, I was impatient. I was impatient with myself. Mm-hmm. I was impatient with others. Um, because, um, you know, it, it's just like, we're, everything is so needs to be so quick now, you know, it's reading a book is a, is a luxury. And, and I, and I, I would have a hard time reading, giving myself permission to read a book. I would only read a book on vacation because it was like, oh, you have to be productive. What's wrong with taking a nap and reading a book? There's a shift that's happening here. And, and that's an understanding um, about that sense of uh, not pushing, but surrendering. And, and as I learned to breathe, and a lot of it was learning to doing breathing exercises, this seems very simple, but honestly, you know, I have an app on my phone that's Prana Breath, and it's about taking deep breaths in and exhaling. And I will do this about 10 minutes a day in the morning. And when I find myself getting impatient, anxious, a little bit of that way, uh, because I can't control, I'm out of control and I'll feel anxious. I start to breathe and and be able to kind of refocus and center. And, and, And part of that for me was trusting that things will be okay. Things are gonna work out. Because when I was, anxious, I was insecure, I thought the worst was going to happen. I would always like, you know, I don't know for you, but I would hear people say, oh yeah, things are going well, but wait till the other shoe drops, you know, right. like, oh, you know, <laughs> so like you're just waiting for things to go bad. Well, that's such a, a negative way of, of, of just enjoying the moment. So breathing was a very helpful way for me to learn to be patient Mm -hmm. and also quieting the mind, quieting my mind. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like worrying is a form of impatience? Yeah. And I think at the core of worry is the same thing of impatience. It's it's anxiety that I'm not in control. And, you know, people who are type A who need to be in control, we worry. And, And what you realize is worry doesn't do any good. Now, if, and, and one of the things I've done for myself, is there something I can do about this now? If there is, do it. If not, write it down and it will be there later. Um, part of, I used to think if I worry more about it, I'll be able to get it fixed. Mm-hmm. Well, worrying doesn't, all it does is take a lot away your energy, right? Yeah. So I think, I think worry and impatience are both there breathing, um, centering, clearing my mind, getting some perspective on things so that I, I'm, I'm in the midst of it. And you know, when you get up and take a walk and you could just get outside, it's a different perspective on it. And then you realize, okay, maybe this could be okay. Or sometimes I'll ask the question, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? Like I was speaking at this big event and I was worrying a little bit. I was anxious, you know, 
I was fighting myself. I want to do a good job. I don't How want to... human of you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to embarrass myself, right? And then, you know, you play out the scenario. What's the worst thing that's going to happen? Oh, I'm going to make some mistakes. And people are going to laugh a little bit. And, and maybe they'll never ask me back. Okay. <laughs> okay. What's the worst thing that can happen? Uh, they can't fire me. Um, I'm already up there. <laughs> I, you know, so anyhow, I think playing the scenario out a little bit, what's the worst that can happen. And, and that's that, you know, laughter has been a good thing about laughing at myself, laughing at life. Having that perspective is very helpful to me to not worry about things as much and not to be impatient. Mm. I love that. Yeah. There. Go ahead, Kel. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I love the, the five rule. Like, is it going to matter in five minutes? Is it going to matter in five days, five weeks, five years? And it really does kind of help with that perspective that you were talking about of really stepping back. And that's something that I try to talk with my kids about, you know, <laughs> when everything seems so urgent all the time, it's like, yeah. okay, let's, let's take a minute. And, um, in teaching that to them, it's just reinforcing it within myself as parenting is. So it, it's been a good lesson. It's well, really and it, it's harder for young people because they don't sure. have the years of experience of going through those things. So for them, that's the first time this has happened and they don't know that it's going to be okay. And that's when the parent says, I love you. You have people who love you and it's going to be okay. That reassurance is so powerful, right? Um, and, and as a young person, they're, they're going to be more anxious. But I think breathing um, learning to trust yourself. Again, as a young person, I didn't trust myself. I was taught, you know, in fact, that my ideas were stupid. I, I didn't know what I was thinking. I was taught so that I, I gave my power away. And I think the more we can give a young person to trust themselves, believe in themselves, know that they're good. And when they can learn to love themselves, that takes some of that anxiety away. And even as adults, um, as I learned to trust myself and my feelings and mine, so I, you know, okay, I trust myself. I'm going to do the best I can. And you know what? It's, I mean, it's going to be okay. Yeah, it's going to be okay. <laughs> but that's easier to say and harder to do. And that takes, oh, absolutely. And that takes practice. I mean, I just for your listeners, you know, I want them to know the things we're talking about here aren't things that happen overnight. They are things that we're intentional about. And, and I speak about that in the chapter about uh, cause and effect. Our intentionality, what we focus on, you know, because we say what we focus, where we focus, our energy goes. And so, you know, if we focus on worrying and fear, that's where our focus will go. That's where our energy goes. If we focus on possibility, hopeful, uh, something exciting, our energy will manifest that. And so uh, that, those are important things. Um, I think what, what is the focus in our mind and what's in our, our, our intentionality? Yeah. In part of your book, you explain the connection between prayer and mindfulness. Will you go into that a little bit for our listeners? Yeah, well, I think, you know, I grew up thinking prayer was like, you have a set time that you pray, um, that you maybe pray in the morning or that you do 
uh, during the day. And honestly, I, I never got much out of that type of prayer when I just would kind of um, sit and, okay, God, you know, what am I supposed to do? I, I, I realized that type of prayer was more clearing my mind and prayer was more about changing myself and about, you know, my being open and, and getting some clarity. And that, is, and that was my meditation, breathing. Yoga is a form of prayer. And mindfulness is a form, Paul says, pray ceaselessly. Or almost prayer is breathing. So mindfulness is living your day, being mindful of the moment prayer being being present in the moment um so that before i would go from task to task project was done move on to the next thing move on to the next thing and, and i was so focused on the next project i was never aware of kind of what's present so now i'll say to people what do you notice right now rather than you know, what do you notice right now? Like one of the things I notice right now is the energy that we have, the commonality, the, the kindred spirits that we have. I, I notice that I'm feeling energized. I'm noticing that I can feel my body feeling energized. And that mindfulness is being aware of what I'm feeling and what's happening in the moment. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm constantly keep me in the moment. <laughs> like, yeah. I have to remind myself of that all the time. Good. Good for you. Again, because our, our not society, easy. <laughs> no, well, our society doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't perpetuate that. I mean, if you watch too much of the news and dramas and everything's drama and moving, you know, you're already moving out there and you're missing, Oh, I'm here at home. My kids are here. My, so I tell people, maybe watch 15 minutes of the news and then shut it off. You know, yeah. watch how, watch what you bring into your brain, what you read, what you, what you let come in because that affects you. And, and being mindful is, it's just being present in the moment really. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, Jerry, have you tried any of the plant medicine routes for your spiritual connectedness? Um, say more about that. Like, what would be an example? Like, we've had people on the podcast who have had a lot of healing from cannabis or um, psilocybin, or there's MDMA therapies, and how it can be very impactful spiritually and emotionally. Um, sorry, my cat is in the screen. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, do you have any experience with any of that? No, I don't have, but I believe in them. I mean, the Native Americans were deep in their spirituality and understanding so much about, uh, you know, the, the herbs and the, the healing power of a lot of those rather than the pharmaceuticals. And it's the same way food, organic food as to yeah. pres preservatives. It, it, I, I've just been reading about trees and the trees consciousness that trees have, and they're sharing within each of the trees, how they share with each other, um, the different nutrients and things that they have between them. And so I, I believe a hundred percent in the healing powers of uh, nature, because here's another thing. If everything has energy, everything has 
um, some level of consciousness. I don't know what that would be uh, for different things, but but I mean, but we know that plants are affected by people's talking to them, by people's energy, the negative energy can almost drain, you know, and plants are go. We know that we're affected uh, by animals can affect us. You know, there's a consciousness. And so there is an energy that's in plants that can bring that to us too in the healing way. I was just watching a thing um, yesterday where they hooked a sound machine up to a mushroom outside and it actually made music. And it was like, it was so wild to me that this is all around us and we're so not aware. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and, you know, it's funny because we, uh, we think of that as new age. All this is new age. And it's not new age at it's all. not at all, yeah. It's very ancient. I mean, you know, the vibrational level, our universe has a certain vibrational level. There is, when we are in tune vibrationally with the universe and with ourselves, and there's music that kind of sets those certain vibrations that you can listen to that put you into that space. Um, I went on a retreat at the Abbey of Gethsemane for a week with these monks who had made a vow of silence. So for a week, I was silent. Now, you can imagine for me being an extrovert, (laughs) to be silent with no, (laughs) no technology, no phones, no TV. Yeah, no talk music. about being in the moment. <laughs> yeah. No, no music. I mean, it was silence, right? I read books. I walked. And I must tell you, the first day I was having withdrawal. I, I, was, I, I, was, I was having a time. And everybody were taking bets at my church if I could really, how long I could make it. Some people said he'll make it for a day and a half. He'll make it for three days. He'll never make it for a week. Um, in a day and a half, I finally, uh, they had an area at the registration that they had a pay phone. Now, if you're in the registration area, you could talk. Once you go through the registration, then it's all silent. You have to be silent. But there's a pay phone there. And so I'm, I'm not going to break my vow of silence. But this is back in the days. I mean, this was 25 years ago when we had pay phones. And I put in the money and I call my wife. And she answers the phone. She's there. She has a Bible study that she's with at our house. And all these other people are there. And she says, hello. And I go, mm-hmm. <laughs> and she says, who is this? Mm-hmm. She said, is this Jerry? <laughs> I just had to hear her voice. <laughs> and they all laugh. But, but I must tell you, after that week, when I came home, my vibrational level was so much lower. I was so slow and so easy. And everybody else was running around. And I was just like, it almost bothered me. I was like, you guys just relax. Mm -hmm. It took about three months. And after about three months, I lost that sense of just ease because I I was back in the mood again, right? Mm -hmm. But it reinforced in me the sense of vibration you know, we can go. And that's why I think meditation, yoga, breathing, that is so helpful because it does bring us down to a quieter place and quiets our mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you have time, Jerry, I would love to ask you some of the sure. questions from your Yeah, I, I love it. You guys are doing a great job. <laughs> Thanks. Unless Cal, did you have something? 
I did, but it's a lengthy one. So let's just, I'll message you after this, Jerry. I just have so many questions. <laughs> and, and you know what? We, we, can do, uh, we can do another conversation. We can do email. I, I'd I really enjoy that because I just want to keep this going. But I know for time's sake, well. No, <laughs> I don't have anything till five o'clock. So you're okay. <laughs> All right, then okay. ask away, Cal. <laughs> okay, I do want to ask this one question then. Um, so I'm fascinated by ego dissolution and, and the ego in general. It's something that I feel like I struggle with, even though I, I know we all do, but it's something that I really am just curious about. And I'm wondering how just ego in general has come up in your research in, in writing this book and just in your life practice. What have you noticed about the ego? Well, let's, let's, I, I'd be interested first in what, how do you understand the ego and, and what does that mean for you? In, in our own psyche. Yeah, so I'm very much the ego is the bad is what I was always taught. So I, we talk about that undoing, you know, that anything bad or self-serving, that's the ego. Um, but I'm learning more and more that the ego is quite healthy and can be there to serve and protect us. Um, and so I'm still in the process of understanding what it is and, and learning what it is. And that's why I just wanted to hear your take. Well, you know, honestly, I... I, I let the ego stuff go. I mean, I. How? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, there's, there's the I, question. I, I, I don't even, I don't even have that language about ego in, in my consciousness. I don't think about think? myself with ego. I mean, the e I mean, some people talk about the ego and that's how they understand themselves. So I don't even, um, I, I don't. I don't, I mean, you know, we just use different words for determine certain things that, you know, if one, I don't think the, I don't think there's parts of us that are bad. There are undeveloped parts of us. And here's the reality. Our consciousness is only 20% of our brain. The unconscious is 80%. So, so much happens in our unconscious and that's our default. So if, if we are grow up with a sense of anger or fear, fight or flight, whatever, whatever, you know, that's the two primary emotions. I'm going to fight or I'm going to flight. When you're in crisis, you go to your default. So I don't really, yeah, I don't, I don't use the word ego in the same way, maybe that you understand it. I love that explanation. That's, <laughs> that's exactly what I wanted to know. I, I just, you know, I mean, I, I realize there are psychologists who talk about ego and Freud and all that, and I'm much more with Jung, and I like union of the undeveloped parts of ourselves. And, you know, there's nobody who's evil. Um, I, I, I don't even know about sin. I mean, there's sin, but I mean, there's things that we do wrong. We hurt other people, but, you know, a lot of violence that people do is out of suffering out of their suffering. So somebody who's angry, been hurt, they strike out in violence because of their suffering. And so again, it's kind of understanding that, not just not justifying it, but the person who's been the abuser was abused. 95% or 80, 90% of people who are abusers were abused first. So now you understand, right? And then it's helping them become conscious of it and you can change. Yeah. And I think forgiveness is such a huge part of that. And, and self-awareness. 
Correct. Yeah. You know, like I had a terrible, my father had a terrible temper, anger. He gave me a lot of things, but the one thing he had that his father gave him was anger. He would go off, just go off in a rage. So, you know, I had that. I remember when we got married, I went off. Diane had two girls who were nine and 11. And I just went off yelling at them about something ridiculous. And they just started crying. And I went outside on the porch and Diane comes out and I'm crying. And Diane says, what's wrong? I said, I do not want to do to your girls what my father did to me. That's when I went into counseling because I wanted somebody else to help me learn about what that was, what that set off. You know, and anger's not bad, but it's how it's used, how it mm-hmm. gets manifested. So that's the part about self-awareness and growing that I think is important that I want to increase people to. So yeah, uh, ego. No, I love that. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for that. And then one more thing on that. So yeah. do you believe in the generational karmic debt, essentially, or things that are brought down throughout our family history? Well, you know, that's an interesting thing. I, 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 you know, there's, um, I don't know, I don't know, but, but certainly we know DNA, um, you know, people are alcoholics, uh, they're in their DNA, their children are, have a greater propensity to alcoholism. Um, in the Indians, Amer- Native American Indians, we used to make fun of fire water. Well, we know in their DNA, alcohol, they have a different reaction to alcohol than, than Caucasians do. Mm-hmm. Um, can there be trauma that gets into your, into your cells, things that happen getting your cells, can that be manifested to the next generation? Um, that's, I don't know, you know, that's some people say that some people have a violent gene then others don't. Um, I don't know about that. Yeah, to be determined. Okay, Leanne, ask your questions. I know we're running out of time. Thank you, Jerry, for that. So how can being generous bring inner peace to a person? Well, I, you know, what I find is generosity is puts you out beyond yourself, right? And so as you share, your, share part of yourself, it's that karma. Jesus says you reap what you sow. So what you, what you sow, you're going to reap. You're going to, if I sow goodness and generosity, it's going to come back to me. Somebody asked me, oh, well, Jerry, now that you have this book out, are you really wealthy? And I said, oh, I'm a millionaire. They said, you have a million dollars? And I said, no, no, no. I only have 2,000 in my savings account, but I have a million in blessings. <laughs> I said, because over the years, my life has been so blessed. That actually, you know, people say, oh, it must be hard being a minister. You're sharing with people in their difficult times and you're helping people. And I've gotten so much more than what I've ever given. And, and you know this, if, if you go visit somebody in a hospital to try to make them feel better, you usually come back feeling better than they do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So Hopefully. Gener- yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, because I, so I think generosity um, always um, always gives us that you know it comes back to us right generosity comes back to us Mm -hmm. that's beautiful what is a way you're interdependent with others well as we know um 
that we are interdependent, that our energy, the ripple effect happens and 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 it we are connected to one another the more and and that's more than what we even you know i think realize during the pandemic we've all felt that you know i i was having a hard time understanding i said to my wife i just i don't have any energy i i don't feel any creativity and and part of it was i'm a social being i wanted to be out there connected to other people and there was just a whole weight in our country that that you can't touch but it's there you know and again for those of us who want to see things and explain it the emotional part of ourselves is hard to explain but that's that interdependency and i you know people i will say to them if have you been in a room where you've been with somebody who's very negative and you can almost feel that that energy that negativity or then you go and you're with somebody else and you can feel that, you know, that energy connectedness. We are very interdependent. Mm -hmm. yeah. I just have two more. Almost done. Okay, let's do <laughs> you're it. Doing, you're doing great, Jerry. Thank you. Um, oh, no, thank you. So why is reconciliation so hard? Well, I, reconciliation, I think, is, is hard because that deals with forgiveness. And, and when we feel wounded, um, we, we want the other person to pay, uh, you know, our woundedness. And, and so, uh, to, to reconcile means we have to let go and we have to give forgiveness. Now, part of that is also then with empathy, because like I had a friend who, uh, I shared some things about myself. He was a member of the church and, you know, he used those personal things against me um, later and, and our relationship severed and I was so angry at him and I wanted him. Oh, you know, I thought of how can I get back at him for doing this? And, and it was so hard. And, and what I realized, because he left the church and I never saw him, he was going on with his life. He didn't even think about me. But for the last three months, I've been thinking about him and how he hurt me and how I wanted to get back at him some way you know and and it was a focus of my energy and then i realized until i forgive him i'm never going to find inner peace so then i started to say well why did he do that well as i kind of pressed played that out a little bit with my wife and, and as i kind of had a perspective on it i realized what had happened was his best friend was in the church and his best friend did something really out very terrible wrong and i confronted his best friend so he had to choose between his best friend and for me mm. and so he sided with his best friend and and so he did that because his best friend felt hurt you know let alone he was wrong but you know your actions are never always rational and, and so I, I had empathy why he did that. And so later, if I would have met him and we would have seen one another, I would have said, you know, I, I'm sorry for whatever happened between us, but I hope we could be friends again because I really like you. I think that could have had reconciliation, but, but that needs to happen when people can finally let go and, and you know, forgive 
Forgiveness is a part of that. Yeah. Yeah. But it can happen, but you got to have both parties are willing to do it. Yeah. Can't be one-sided for sure. <laughs> and, and, you know, sometimes even in our, our marriages, you know, there's times when we're angry um, and, and people say, don't go to bed with, you know, anger in your heart. Well, I, I couldn't do it. I was still angry, you know? And so oh, yeah. it, 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 it might take a day and a half. And, and then I'm we'll finally, talk in the morning. Yeah. 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 You know, and then, you know, and then of course what happens, your emotions, your emotions kind of calm down, you get a different perspective and then you say, okay, can we talk about this? And now that you're there a little bit and you can hear the other person's point of view, why did they do that? And you realize maybe I jumped to the conclusion. Maybe I took something wrong. You know, and so you can you can do that, but um, but it takes work, like mm-hmm. anything in life, it does take work. Yeah, Clayton told me I need to go to the Olympics for jumping to conclusions. <laughs> 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 He's like, you've got a stride going. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> okay, my very last question. Um, well, it's actually your very last question. Um, <laughs> What stops you from living with the inner peace that the scriptures teach us? Oh, what stops us? I, I think it's, um, it's all of that, things we've been talking about, things from our past, uh, people, other people's expectations. Um, and finally, when I learned how to love myself, trust myself, see myself with all my quirkiness as just who I am and I still make mistakes and I still get upset and I have to ask for forgiveness but I I understand some of my own humanness better that I I think I'm able I have such a greater now inner peace but again let me say that's taken 20 years of of journey okay so, um, you know, when people say, oh, I'm 50 and I don't look for it, I say, oh, your 50s are your best years. My 40s, I love my 40s better than my 30s because each decade I felt like I was getting a little wiser, uh, a little better perspective, and I was growing. And, and so that's as long as we are doing that and enjoying life, um, trying to live into joy um, we'll know that sense of peace with God. Mm. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, I, um, heard this quote this morning and it said a single conversation with a wise man is better than a year of study. And I think I can say that that's true after this conversation. So thank (laughs) you so much for coming and hanging out with us today. Thank you, Jane. Uh, I can't wait for our community to hear this and I can't wait to continue the conversation with you, um, outside of this too. This is really, really lovely. Thank you for your time. Well, thank you. And um, I, I'm looking so forward to, to your conversation. And it, and it means a lot to me to know that you read it and, and got something out of it. We and, loved it. Uh, a lot <laughs> out of it, Jerry, really. Yeah, it, it was really, really well done. And, and it's beautiful. It's absolutely a beautiful book. So thank you. Yeah. Anything I can do, please. Let's stay in conversation. That's great. Absolutely. That great. Thank you so much, Sherry. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to join in on the conversation, we invite you to come be a part of the HDC community. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching at Have the Combo. For information on all of our shows, guests, and more, visit htcpod.com. 
While you're there, be sure to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Talk soon.